the game is over, but we're just getting started. You're listening to The Fifth Quarter, presented by Twitch on the Raiders Podcast Network. Can you recall anything like this in your career? I died and, and woke up and died again, and I was like a cat. I had multiple lives tonight. I don't like playing like that. It was um, um, tough, but um, again, we, we did a lot of really good things to win that football game tonight. Well, I think John Grunin said it the best. Eddie Pascal here with Jason Fitz at the Twitch Lounge, and thank you for joining us for our first regular season episode of the fifth quarter, proudly presented by Twitch and Fitz. Gruden said that he felt like he died and he woke up again. I feel like I died several times, woke up again. Where are you mentally, spiritually, Oh, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm just cut. I mean, this was unreal. And I think I speak for Raiders fans everywhere. I'm going to take my ESPN hat off for a second and just be a fan, right? So I had the opportunity to sort of weasel my way in with a bunch of people. We're watching the end of the game happen. And as you see the touchdown that we thought was a touchdown, the crowd's leaving. I'm pulling out my phone. I'm dropping things. I'm trying to get video of this game-winning moment in Vegas. Everybody's high-fiving like people you don't even know and that smell bad or suddenly hugging you. Everything's great, right? And then all of a sudden, a play in the stadium we didn't even know was being reviewed was changed, and you have this moment of thinking, okay, it's going to be fine. We're going to win it on the next. Thank you for letting us get a rehearsal run, right? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, the false start, everything starts to fall apart, and you just look at it and think, my God, like I'm not emotionally ready to handle this. All to get back to the point that eventually, obviously, the team wins. There was a nine lives element to it for everybody, and I was just warned Vegas, like, hey, most games don't end that way. Like, you guys should know that most games do not end the way we just But saw with that. this team, there's always a little nah, excitement. There's always a little, little razzle-dazzle, sometimes an unnecessary excitement. But <laughs> at the end of the day, the Raiders win 33-27 in a game that could only be described as insane, bonkers. I mean, I don't even have the right adjectives for it. And we're going to talk about what this meant to the city, what this meant to the organization as our resident Vegas guy. Yes. I think you can answer to that pretty well. But let's just start, I guess... At the end of the craziness of that fourth quarter leading into overtime, we have the battle of the incredible field goal kickers. We go Justin Tucker, we go Daniel Carlson, and then everything that happens in that one-yard line or from the one-yard line in. And I'll be honest with you, man. When Derek hit Brian Edwards, I said, it's a game. We're going. We're done. And give him credit. Incredible effort play. I thought he crossed the plane. Obviously, he didn't. And I am very happy because I would have showed up on old takes exposed very very quickly because <laughs> i took a right of passage dude there. oh my god because what i what i tweeted out i was like oh carter edwards teddy time and that's the perfect ending for an instant classic here in the desert mm. and it was not there is a, so let me oversimplify one thing yes. i think that we see oftentimes and one of my smartest football buddies said this to me years ago good teams find a way to win bad teams find a way to lose and when you think about that as much as again that's oversimplified We've watched a lot of Raiders football over the years, right, where you found a team that found a way to lose. What was really impressive to me about everything we witnessed is that this wasn't the best version of the Raiders, and we'll oh, talk not, about oh. it. There were a lot of mistakes by this. This Raiders team tried aggressively at times, I felt like, to lose and somehow found a way to win. To me, if you look at a, a season overall and you say, hey, where was the tone set? First game against a Ravens team that – 
you know, I think a lot of people are going to talk about depletion of assets with some of the injuries. That's a talented Ravens team that I think has every opportunity to win their division. They came in here. They had every opportunity to win this game. The Raiders found a way to make that happen. I think that there's a little bit of stick that comes from that that you can look at and say, wow, that's a positive that this team doesn't have to play a perfect game to win a game. And, and let's be candid, too, where you have that interception on the goal line, and you have that immediate thought of, here we go again, yeah. right? You have that immediate, here we go again. I've seen this story before. The Raiders find some incredible way that we've never even seen of to, to lose a game. But give them credit. They did not do that. They figured out, they, like you said, they had that stick And gosh, man, it was an insane night here at Allegiant Stadium. And I got to start here, man, because I'm our resident special teams guy. And our <laughs> specialist absolutely crushed it tonight. A.J. Cole was on and the cash you money. Are man himself, Cole. You dude, are an A.J. Cole. You are. For anyone that's like, you are an A.J. Cole guy. Like, that's my guy. Yeah, that's fair. And then he has an incredible night. And the cash money man himself, Daniel Carlson, good from 55. What a luxury it is to have a guy like him on your roster, especially when you're kicking in pristine conditions like this. Yeah, well, and when you think about what the Raiders were facing tonight, the one thing that every Ravens fan knew in the crowd is that Justin Tucker is automatic from everywhere. They don't put him out on the field unless he's going to make that kick, right? And so, and he has so much range. And so it was a luxury late in the game for the Ravens to know that all they had to do was not screw up and they could have the opportunity to win. I think it's also a luxury for the Raiders to know you get the ball at the 25. Strategic error. You mentioned special teams. I think a massive strategic error by the Ravens was to go back and kick that touchback. You kick that short. I had the same, you, I had the same thought. You this make rugs bring it out, which had been a problem throughout the course of the game, and you chew off seven seconds. They didn't do that, and by do not doing that, they left the Raiders basically a free opportunity to start at the 25 and know you only need to get to what? 30, if you get to the 40, you're still going to be in Carlson range. And there's a big difference between 39 seconds and 31, 32. I mean, that is a huge difference, and I think you're right. I think when John Harbaugh, who's a special teams guy, right. he's a special teams guy, when he's sitting on that very long, very <laughs> quiet flight back to Baltimore tonight, I think that's that's one that's going to keep him up. But, I mean, give credit to, to Coach Gruden, give credit to Coach Passaccia for having Carlson ready to rock. And, dude, he was just stones, man. He was automatic. That was a no-doubt 55-yarder. And you, you can't give enough credit to what it's like to have that automatic. We as a franchise have known that for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so many people that talk about the Raiders talk about the proud history of the Raiders. Well, the Raiders are almost always good at that one position, right? I don't want to take it for granted. I don't want to get lost tonight for everything that was done well by the defense in the second half, the offense, particularly in the second half. It takes Daniel Carson coming out and making that kick, which is not easy to do. No, not at all. So we end up in overtime, right? Raiders win the toss. And Wax and I were having this funny conversation in the, uh, in the box during this, the, the coin toss where this crowd got crazy for the, the toss. And Wax is like, I bet you a lot of people won money on if that was heads or tails. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, absolutely. But give credit to Ingold. He went, did he go two for two tonight? No, he went one for two. One for two. One for two. But Still he got the important good. one. Yeah, he got, he the, got important the important one. one. So we go into overtime. And, I mean, we could do an entire show on what happened from here. I mean, Derek Carr, so we go past to Brian Edwards, then we go Josh over right, and yada, yada. We're working, working our way down the field. And then Carr to Edwards, who, as we were talking about earlier, had a really nice second half. A really, really nice second half. And then we think it's over. I mean, Derek and Lamar had dapped up. It was over. Coaches were gone. There, yeah. were, there were coaches on both staffs. For anyone that didn't see it, or I don't know what they showed on the broadcast, there were coaches that had to be brought back from the tunnel. Yeah. That's stunning to me. That's how, how done this game was. And we had fans walking out from both teams. We're like, all right, cool. Let's go to the strip. We did yeah. it. And then all of a sudden, 
out they come. We're doing it again. Alex Leatherwood, the false start. And I feel bad for that guy, man. I mean, to be a rookie in that position, you can't make that penalty, right? Yeah. You can't do it. Obviously, things ended up well for the Silver and Black tonight. But going for I mean, what a learning experience for him playing on the biggest stage, Monday Night Football, going through the motions of all this madness, and, and then to, to kind of have that moment kind of land your, uh, land your shoulders Yeah, there. And, and Leatherwood, by the way, go back and watch it, and I'll watch it with some of my offensive line buddies. I, I think it's important to do that. There were noticeable times that Leatherwood swallowed up whoever came at him. I thought Leatherwood was quicker than I expected. He was more agile coming off the edge than I expected. I thought he did a really nice job of protecting what he needed to protect. But you're right. You have these learning moments and a little bit of a learning moment. I say this gently, very gently, but a little learning moment to the city of Las Vegas as there were times on these screens they were having to put quiet please up. And I just felt like what and, and being at that point, I was in the lower bowl with as many fans as possible. The fans were just so hype that mm -hmm. people did. I, I felt like people around weren't paying attention to situational fan football. And yeah. you just got to know at that point to, to sit down and shut up. Like, it's yeah. just to be overly harsh. Like, leather, there was more noise than would usually be there for him. And, you know, ultimately he makes an egregious error that doesn't cost us a game. And speaking of learning moments, before we go back to that, the interception, but speaking of learning moments for the fans, too, doing the wave when poor Gerald McCoy is getting carted off, as a fan base, you got to be able to read the room a little bit yeah, better. Yeah, a thousand percent. you got to be able to read the room a little better. And that will come in time, but I think that's one at the end of the season where the, this fan base is going to look back and be like, ah, not our best moment on I, week one. I think there was an interesting, uh, and, and like you said, we'll talk a lot about Vegas in general. There was an interesting nightclub vibe to this game. And I, I felt like the nightclub vibe played into overtime. It's part of why everybody was still hyped, but it's also part of why everybody was just universally hyped like it wasn't like a you know I'll, I'll go back to my music days touring right like you got to realize that there's a right time for a ballad and a wrong time there, there were no ballads happening here everything yeah. was just going to be a hundred percent the whole way and it's part of what made a especially a painful first half offensively still felt like the game of your life because there's like lights going off and celebrities here and dancing around like it had a nightclub feel it just that was unfortunate in overtime to have that that be a moment and, and we'll get back to the offense in general and talk about kind of their slow start as well but you go back to this game now you're on the five yard line Derek ends up getting picked off and here it's like I said here we go again but give credit to this Raiders defense and we are going to talk about this defense we are going to give guest Bradley his due because my goodness this defense looks a lot different than the one that we saw in 2020 but credit them for coming up with a big play when they absolutely had to have it Carl Nassib with the fumble Darius Filing with the recovery and all of a sudden the madness continues because why not Fitz we've gotten weird for the last three hours what's another <laughs> half an hour right Oh, if you can't get weird in Vegas, yeah. where can you get weird? No, but you're right. Like, I think, you know, a couple of things. We, we saw Derek Carr be high a lot tonight. It, like, the balls were just coming out yeah. high, uh, and that's a problem. We all know that. Yep. When Carr's amped up, uh, I'll never forget being at MetLife Stadium a couple of years ago out in New York for the Jets game that was regrettable for so many of us to watch. And even in warm-ups, I remember tweeting at the time, in warm-ups, you could see he was missing people on air. Like, nobody was it, – it's seven on none. And it was just high. Like, when he has a bunch of adrenaline, the ball comes out high. And when it comes out high, that's difficult for receivers. And it felt like in overtime, that reared its head a little bit and obviously goes off the hands, and then that becomes a pick. And those are the moments that you look at and say, my God, like, everybody involved is going to look back at the film and say, how did we let that happen? The great news is the defense just sort of stepped up and said, no worries, we got this, which I think was the overwhelming, like, let me be – incredibly clear here the defense won this game 100%, for the Raiders 100% I don't remember the last time I said the defense won this game for the Raiders in this sort of a fashion I mean 
2016? I was on the, the I'm the, trying to I'm trying to think of a game and, and really, you know, none is coming to mind. I mean the twenty sixteen season was, was incredible in so many ways, but I, I I honestly think that was the last time. I mean, as we look up Lamar's numbers here, he ends at the he ends the night nineteen of thirty, two thirty five and a touchdown, ninety eight point six pass rating. But it really so where he beat this team though more, where he made things more difficult for the Raiders, is kind of what I thought going into this game. He is an absolutely different beast when he's running. I don't know if I've ever seen an athlete, never mind a quarterback, move his body kind of dissect a defense the way that he does when he gets in the open field. And sometimes when he's not even in the open field. Sometimes when things are collapsing in the pocket. Yeah, I had three different buddies that I, I think are smarter than I am text me after the second touchdown and say, hey, nobody would have stopped Lamar on that play. And I think there's some value to that. You have to understand, and, and, and that's something that I think Raiders fans get, but when you're looking at, at playing Patrick Mahomes twice a year, you've got to understand that when you are playing that level of greatness, there are going to be two or three plays a game where you just tip your hat and you say, you know what? That was awesome, and I get it. I get it was awesome. It wasn't fun for me to watch as a fan, but it was awesome. Lamar had several of those run, those runs tonight where he was he was caught, and you know one of the ushers actually said it's not sustainable. The thing you got to watch when you watch Lamar is he's slippery. He doesn't take a lot of real hits. He's able to move his body around with some level of agility. I'll never understand, and then slide his way out of actually getting popped. So if you're a defender. You're used to most quarterbacks having a certain level of athleticism, but not that level of slipperiness. And that, that was, that's going to be a consequence for everybody that tries to take on the Ravens throughout the course. It's why I still think the Ravens, despite this loss, should be favored in their division. I mean, you just look at Lamar's rushing numbers. Average north, north of seven yards a carry. And there was one play in particular. I want to say it was third quarter, fourth quarter. You know what I'm talking yeah. about. Where Max and Unique got there at the same time. And somehow, he Houdini'd his way out of there. They did it in slow-mo. They showed it in slow-mo in the booth. And I'm looking there, and I go, I still don't understand how he was able to elude Max, how he was able to elude Unique, and then he just scampers off for, what, a 9-10 year game, whatever it is. Well, and at the very end of that play, Corey Littleton sort of lightly hits him with his arm, and he goes down. And yeah. I'm like, how, how? How does that happen? Like, you've got all of this strength and greatness, and, oh. you know, the, the, the word I'm going to use too many times, so, you know, you can make this a very responsible, uh, you know, drink a shot of water every time, time I say it from here on out, swarming. And Lamar Jackson is slippery all day. It doesn't change the fact that this is a defense that was swarming to Lamar Jackson constantly. I don't remember the last time I saw that sort of wheels, that speed, but also that anticipation in everything they did. Man, that was that – was, got, I got goosebumps watching that. I mean, Max Crosby had an absolutely incredible Monday night. I think going into this, all of us that have seen Max for the past couple years, and especially through training camp, you say, okay, this is a big year for this guy, right? You know, he's a, a kind of a – Ascended into this leadership position. We have Unique and Gakwe here to kind of help him out. You know, he is the guy on this defensive line. He's got the C on his chest for a reason, and man, that looked good on him. Like, that suited him so well tonight. Hearing him talking during the week about how much it meant to him to have the C, and then to see what he did out there a couple hours ago, I mean, you don't want to read too much into one game in 2021, but Max Crosby, have yourself a night, and I think he set himself up very nicely to have a very nice uh, junior season here. Well, and not even just his play during the, the plays themselves. He was one of the main people that was mm -hmm. enforcing with the crowd, hey, get up and get down. And there, there are two things that I think are going to be important for Max this year for the reason that I think he's going to have a blow-up year. I, I think Max could genuinely be a defensive player of the year candidate this year. His sack numbers are going to be through the, the roof. But I've been saying this to Raider Nation Radio for a long time. There are two reasons that I think this happens. One, 
the, as much as we talk about sobriety, and that's a huge part of what we're all proud of, Max, and that journey in life, I think you also have to acknowledge that that changes your conditioning. And let's just be real about that. So Max is in the best shape. You can see it. I mean, he looks like a golden god. The other part of it is I know a lot of people in Jacksonville. I talk to the ESPN affiliate there all the time. Yannick Ngakwe is not a good player. He is a great player. He is a spectacular player. He doesn't play the run particularly well. That's the knock. And then he started to get traded. And when he started to get traded, he couldn't really find his footing in a defense. I don't hold that against anybody because at the end of the day, coaching is like being on the show Chopped. You open up a basket. You got to look at it, see what are my ingredients, how do I use them. Baltimore wasn't really interested in using the ingredients the right way. Minnesota wasn't interested in using the ingredients the right way. So some reputation built on Yannick Ngakwe that I think is absolutely unfair. So what you have now is a rusher that is a dynamic, absolute, oh, my God, I can crush a quarterback rusher. So – now, the biggest difference for Max is this is what we talk about with wide receivers. You can look at dynamic offenses and say if you add a great wide receiver, it makes it easier for everybody else. Max now becomes the second best rusher right now, today. In the eyes of most offensive coordinators, they're looking at it saying, we got to shift all of our coverage to stop Max. And if you watch the game back, look at Lamar early. What they were doing every, every single time is they were shifting protection to protect against Yannick. The minute you do that, now you've left Max one-on-one. Max one-on-one will crush almost anybody. And he showed that today against, again, for all the injuries that Baltimore has, those injuries weren't to their core parts of their offensive line. And there's an understanding of what he's going to be able to do. I think that he's not just a double. I, by the end of the year, he's a 15-16 sack guy. And that is a, that's a, a realistic goal for Max. And everybody's going to fall in love with the person behind it. So it makes him a bigger star. The one thing that I, I loved about Max as we kind of descended into that second half, into overtime, is Unique's banged up, right? So Unique's not out there. And you end up in that, in that overtime period where you're, if you're a defensive player, if you're anyone in this building, your head is – you're like, oh, my God, here we go again. But give Max credit. He was bust. I can say ass, right? He was busting his ass. He was running after Lamar. He was pursuing Lamar. And this is after he had played, I want to say, almost every snap of this game, and it's in overtime. He's pursuing, pursuing, pursuing. He is not hanging his head. He is showing, I'm a leader, right? I'm going to get my sacks. I'm going to get my numbers, but I'm going to be out here setting the tone for this defense. I'm going to be setting the tone for this defensive line. I'm going to show all you guys this is what this collective group is about. And Max will play it down, but they all those guys in that locker room on the defensive side of the ball, they heard it all, all offseason. Oh, the Raiders, if the defense can get it together, oh, you know, it's going to be a good team, but, 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 but. And I think they said, look, we're done. We're sick of this. We're going to go out. We're going to have a really good night against Baltimore. We're going to have a really good night showing what we can do against Lamar Jackson. And look, they're not perfect, right? No one was expecting them to be perfect coming out of the gate week one on primetime. But I will say this. The Raiders defense that I saw under Gus Bradley tonight was a marked, a marked improvement over anything that we saw through the duration of 2020. I'll say, too, when you talk about impact throughout the course of a game, when you look at the tackle position particularly, the large men that play that position. The big boys. uh, The big boys will tell you that understanding limiting steps is important. And by that, what I mean is that every time you force them to use a massive exertion of energy, it takes a lot out of their turbo button. I use my like 80s Nintendo analogy, right? Like you got the turbo button, but you can only use it so much and eventually you're out of turbo. What happened in the first half is that that offensive line was just hitting the turbo button or the defensive line, I should say, was hitting the turbo button so much that the Ravens offensive line became out of sync. And you could see that in the second half. Like the ability at some point, the reason the defensive line 
depth is important is because now you can be plug and play and all the different guys can have success because in, instead of taking on 98% of a tackle, they're taking on 78% of a tackle. It wears down the juice. What was impressive to me was that, A, the motor that both guys had in the first half, I think, played into the second half. But then Max has no – he has no turndown, right? Yeah. Like, so his speed was still coming. And when you saw he's that got, He's level, got that Vin Diesel Nas, baby. I mean, <laughs> and when you see he's, that coming – He's fast and furious, dog. And, and it, it, it worked. Like, yeah. that was the biggest part. You know, you're right. I think if when everybody watches this back, and we know Raiders fans are, are compulsive watchers, they'll watch this game a thousand times, rightfully so. There were mistakes in the first half, and some of the yardage numbers that people are going to make a big deal of came chunk plays, mistakes. That's going to happen. But realistically, the way those talented players on the defense played, you have to look at it and say, Gus Bradley has given them a system that obviously makes them feel more comfortable. Also, my God, the team speed is at a level we haven't seen. I, I mean, it's just that's that's truth. Like you can see guys make a, the wrong step and then recover quickly because there's so much team speed. I, I was thinking about this, too. And give Lamar all the credit in the world. We've talked about Lamar a ton, but an incredible athlete, an incredible player, an incredible quarterback, an MVP for a reason. Right. But I just kept thinking when you see Max get home, you see Anik get home, you see them, you know, all those moments where they're so close. If you're playing a mere mortal as a quarterback, those are sacks. Those are not like 12, 13 yard runs. Those are TFLs. Now you're sitting in second and third, you know, second and 15. So that to me is what's exciting because, like I said, give Lamar all the credit in the world, but you're not going to run across many Lamars over the next 17 weeks. You're just not. No, and even when you do, like look in the own, our own division, like Teddy Bridgewater, he's he's absolutely a sitting duck if the if the defense can replicate that performance yeah. justin herbert has some mobility we all know that but what you do especially against like i'll go back to mahomes we all constantly watch that if you can get to mahomes with four i mean that is the let's be real that's what tampa bay looked at and said we can get to mahomes with four. and if you can get to mahomes with four, and you don't have to send anybody else now mahomes has to think more and he has to figure out okay not only am i being pressured but I've got to get out, and I've got to find a way to get rid of the ball. That's what Cleveland did really well at the beginning of that game, that they stopped doing well. So in, in my mind for the Raiders and for the Raiders fan base, you look at the way the defensive line attacks, and it's like, hey, if that level of speed can continue, not even just depth, but speed can continue, then every quarterback's going to struggle more. The one thing that I worry about, speaking of that depth now, going into week two and beyond, we see Gerald McCoy carted off. Uh, you hate to see it for a guy who went through everything that he did, that guy that looked from everything that we saw, incredible in that preseason game. And yeah, I know it's just the preseason, but a guy who's come in motivated, ready to work, excited about this opportunity, has been incredibly vocal about how appreciative he is to be here, how excited he is to be doing what he loves again. And to see him carted off like that, man, it breaks your heart. It really does. Yeah. And for all of us as fans, we love the game. For the guys that play it, particularly the older guys that play it, and I say older. I mean, yeah. like, it's not like McCoy's old, but for older guys that play it that are later in their life, just take a second before there's any takery on it and think about what it means for him as a human being to have worked this hard to get to this opportunity. And whenever you see the cart, you oh. just think, man, where is this going to go, right? Is and there a worse thing in sports than the cart? No. No, there like, really I can't, isn't. I can't think of anything else that when you see it's just immediate downer bad news. Like 99 times out of 100, when you see the cart, it is – Really, really bad. Yeah, I mean, we all just automatically think, you know, what, season Worst ending? Case, yeah. Yeah, that, that's where yeah. your, your mind immediately goes. If the McCoy situation is as bad as we all think it's going to be, and, and my God, let's let the process play out. But I, I hate to say it one weekend, but this is where the front office is really going to have to make their money because I would question whether or not there's enough interior line depth. They're going to have to go out and find players. And if you're going to have to find players, 
Then we can have a real question about the fact that Clee Furl, the fourth overall pick in the NFL draft in Nashville, I was on air for ESPN. I announced the pick. They got right on my face. They're like, what do you think? And I've said this a million times for everybody that has a take on Clee. He is the professional version of what he was at Clemson. He's a solid lineman that doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but also doesn't make a lot of flashy plays that's usually in a pretty good position and is a total consummate professional. But he was a healthy scratch today. And if he's a healthy scratch for this game, is that a bigger sort of indication of where the, the franchise is with him? Because they're going to have to figure that out quickly. And if he's not someone they can rely on, they're going to have to find somebody on the street they can if the McCoy situation is bad. Yeah, I mean, a lot of questions. Obviously, I think when we see the inactives come out, we all kind of do that double take of, oh, Clee's inactive? And, and you're thinking back, like, oh, is there something going on? And you're like, no, he is about as healthy of a scratch as, as can be, you know, as can be headed into week one. So. Look, I, I'm with you, man. Where, where people get caught up in Klee, for better or for worse, they're always going to remember where he got picked, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if Klee, get, if Klee gets picked at 17 at 18, we're not really having this conversation, right? That you're a top five pick. You're a guy that was essentially – the outside perception is you're a guy that, that's coming in to change the shape of this defensive line. And he's not that guy. And as you said, it's not a bad thing. That's just the reality of who he is. It's who he was at Clemson. It's who he's been here in the NFL. He is a solid pro. He is a really, really solid pro. But to think that, you know, Klee's going to have the 10, 11, 12 sacks, he's going to have the big numbers like Max, it's just not living in a world of reality. Yeah, and, you know, realistically, I think we need to, to go back. A little revisionist history happens with the draft constantly. Everybody does this. It's why, no offense to, you know, the guys that grade drafts. I, I love many of them, or I work with many of them. I'd love to grade the graders at some point because <laughs> I, the, the – like, give me five years later, and let's go back and see, okay, this is the grade that Mel Kuyper gave. How, how accurate was he with the, with the grade? Love you, Mel, but how accurate was he? You know? I say this all the time. There's only two jobs in the world where you can be wrong 99% of the time and no one gets on you. It's being a weather person and being a draft analyst. No, you're so right. Like, you know, and, and what we forget is the context of the moment, right? Mm -hmm. Like, for everybody that questions why, you know, Calvin Johnson wasn't a, a Raiders pick, right? Yeah. They forget what the Raiders wide receiver room looked like that year. I would challenge if you go back and watch the, the draft where Klee was picked, what was that, 2018? If you go back and watch that draft in Nashville, go back and listen to what everybody was saying about pass rushers. This was a team that wanted a, dy a dynamic pass rusher. Problem is, they didn't exist in the first round. Nobody was a sure thing, and nobody could look at it and say, that's the guy that can get after the quarterback. And, and you're also coming off the heels of the whole Khalil Mack situation, right? Yep. So there's always that natural comparison, that natural connection between Klee and Khalil Mack. And it is not Cleveland's fault that he is not Khalil Mack. There's right. one Khalil Mack walking around the face of the earth right now, and, he's, and he lives in Chicago right now. We're going to see him in about a month or two. If but, the production for Clee and, and Max Crosby were exactly flipped, oh my God, we would be so happy with both players. Yeah, They'd both be, you know, stalwarts on the line for the next. Yep. We've got two guys that we've got out of the same draft. The problem is they're not, you know, so yep. it's just where we are. So I guess shifting to the offensive side of the football now, Fitz, I mean, we talked about this game. Derek ends the day, the day with... Give me a sec. 435 yards, the quietest 435 yards in the history of 435 yards. But we talk about the beginning of that game, right? And there's, if you're a general, if you're a casual fan, you saw that this offense did not look in sync coming out of the gates. Now, I will ask you this because everyone on the Twitter has a take about this as well. Do you blame that uh, kind of funkiness, that easing your way into things on those guys not playing in the preseason? Do you give credit to the Baltimore defense? Where do we kind of stand on what happened offensively tonight for the Las Vegas Raiders? thousand percent has nothing to do with Baltimore. I give Baltimore a lot of credit for this game. So let me be clear about that. For the first half woes, that is all about the Raiders. And there are a couple reasons why. Derek Carr, again, was not sharp. Uh, he was late with the ball several times. He was high with the ball. He was behind with the ball. How you can be late, high, and behind all at once, that's a marvel to me. Darren Waller, we all love Darren Waller here. 
Darren Waller had some balls he usually catches that just weren't there. I mean, we saw Josh Jacobs just drop a ball on a, I think it was a third down play. But what was interesting about that, if you go back and watch it, Ruggs and Jacobs ran the same route, essentially side by side. So you got two guys, Kenyon Drake, they had to burn a timeout at one point in the game because Kenyon Drake is looking around and he obviously doesn't have the call. But then there was a later play where Kenyon Drake was supposed to be obviously blocking on the screen. Like they were going to do a quick bubble screen to the wide receiver. Drake didn't get the call, got run right by. Like you look at these little intricate details and to me that screams to a lack of preseason. It screams to a lack of continuity. Now, to that end though, when you get away with the win, which is what happened tonight, yeah. right? Now you got to say risk versus reward. So, if you're any team that played all your starters and you lost one of those starters for the year, was it worth it? So what would you rather lose, a half of football or six weeks with somebody that matters? Would you rather lose a game, God forbid, or eight games with your starting quarterback? If I'm a coaching staff, I don't fault the decision to not play people in the preseason because your money depends on winning regular season games. But you can't do that and then be shocked when a brand-new offensive line comes out with a bunch of new pieces, a quarterback looks out of sync, the tight end doesn't really know you know, exactly – where he is and you've got a bunch of new pieces in the offense that aren't getting the calls like that that seems inevitable to me and, and I'm with you 100% and we've talked about this a ton you and I our entire collective to me like you said the risk reward of playing guys in the preseason like in the big picture right what are 12 snaps gonna mean for Derek Carr playing in the second <laughs> week of the preseason right I got I mean, my 12 guys yeah, I'm good exactly I'm good. I hit my quota I'm good to go we'll see you week one like it's just the it's the natural way of things right and but I think for us as fans it's so weird it was just very unnerving to see that version of Derek because we never see that version of Derek. I think I could probably count on, on one hand the amount of times we've seen Derek just genuinely out of sync like that. You never see it. Even when things aren't going well, even when the team isn't putting points up, you know Derek is in the command of the offense. You know Derek is doing his thing. Maybe the wide receivers aren't holding up there into the bargain, the offense line, whatever it is. But we so seldom see Derek just in a funk that I, I think especially after the long layoff of this season of waiting to see this new, bigger, badder version of the offense, this top 10 offense a year ago, to see it come out and, and start a little slow, I think if you're a casual fan, you're like, I knew there were going to be some question marks coming to this game, but the status of Derek and Waller and Josh were not among that list. Well, and look at the first drive. I, I think some of the beauty of Derek uh, in general is the first drive, which is so scripted, but the way he gets to the line of scrimmage, the way he sees what's going on, we're all used to this. He gets to the line of scrimmage with, what, 20 seconds left? Mm -hmm. Spends the next 15 seconds making us all panic that he's not going to get the ball off, and instead he does it the last second while he's then lined everybody up and he knows exactly what the defense is doing. That's the version of Derek Carr we're used to in the scripted portion. Tonight, in that scripted portion, we saw Derek Carr miss a wide-open Henry Ruggs touchdown to the point that people in the stands were already, the, the, the little boo birds that were out, yeah. were already looking for a reason to boo Derek because he didn't see Ruggs. Ruggs was jumping up and down, which is the most emotion I've seen from him yeah. for being missed on something. like. Yeah. And that's not normal for what we're used to in the scripted play section for DC. So I look at all of that and think, all right, what, what, do we, what does it mean? To me, it means that Carr was really out of sync and really at times bad at the end of the first half took a sack that could have absolutely cost them so much in the game all of that bad but to that end I looked at somebody as the fourth quarter started and I said you know what an entire bad game will be forgotten with a great fourth quarter and what did we get like you've got to look at Derek Carr and say once he got in control I mean I'm sorry but the long pass to rugs that set up I think it was the tying field goal yeah. the long pass to rugs the touch on that was Insane. Like you got car rolling out and he just flicks it, just flicks it. 
and lands it. And then the touchdown pass at the end to win the whole thing. Yes, Zay Jones was open. How many times do we see wide open quarterbacks or wide open receivers overthrown because the quarterback gets too much on it? For a guy that was running high the whole show, mm-hmm. he like he just turns around and he's like, bang, I got it. And it just dropped in. So I, I have a lot of respect for the way Derek Carr finished the game. I just I'm stunned by how rough he started. And I think we, we saw I mean you obviously saw that natural progression of him getting more comfortable. And let's not forget that Andre James, through no fault of his own, is now the starting center of this team, right? And I think as a human being, there's that natural, Rodney has been his guy for what, four years, five years? And then to get to the line of scrimmage in a primetime game, Monday Night Football, the entire NFL world is watching you, and it's a different guy? I don't care what you say. As a human being, that's got to throw you off just a little bit. But you look at Derek at the end of the first half, 127 yards, and I'm certainly no mathematician, but according to my calculations, a 300-plus yard second half in overtime, <laughs> right? That'll do. Yeah, That'll that, check out. That's, you know, that's just a pace for a 600-yard yeah. game. I, I love your point with, uh, with James, by the way, because we saw the bad snap in the mm-hmm. first half. Too. And the penalty, I mean. Uh, but I think you have to look at I it. Did, sorry to cut you off. I did have to laugh though, after, the, or after uh, the penalty, and he, and he pats himself. That was on me, and I'm thinking – yeah, man, it, yep. was, it, was, it was on you, you know? <laughs> well, and the fourth and one run yeah. that Calais Campbell yeah. was just like, good sire, I would like to have your lunch today, and I shall eat it here. Like, that's that, there was just nothing that was going to happen. Like, that that was going to happen, right? But I, I look at all of that. I think the communication part, part of it has been sort of under-talked about. And, and it's because most of us, myself included, are not experts at breaking down offensive linemen. We don't really know, right? So when you're looking at a quarterback that is now dealing with new communication – understand that the center's job is not just to snap the ball. The center's job is also to identify who's coming from where and to call out the responsibilities for the entire line and to help shift coverages. And, like, all of these things that are going to be done between the center and the quarterback gets really complicated for somebody that doesn't have a lot of game experience. And James just doesn't. So I thought we saw that, you know, early on. It has to make Derek skittish. Like, we all know Mm -hmm. that most quarterbacks, not just Derek Carr, when quarterbacks have people falling at their feet or coming at them, they get skittish. And in the beginning of the game, it felt like several times he dropped back, there was somebody right there up in his grill ready to take and I, him. And I will say this. I think the version of Andre James we saw tonight is going to be a completely different one than the one we see a month from now, two months from now, at the end of the season. I mean, from everything we've heard from Rodney when he was here to Coach Cable to Coach Gruden to Derek even, the answer is, is Andre James, right? He is the guy. He has been anointed as the next guy. And you don't get anointed like by that group of people unless you can back it up. And he, there's going to be growing pains, right? We knew that going in. So I think that you throw all these kind of things into, the, into tonight. Derek's excited. We have a new offensive line. you got a rookie right tackle. Darren is not at his best as he's kind of working through the kinks in that first half. And it leads to kind of a funky first half of football. Like, make no mistake, the game that we saw here tonight, while incredibly entertaining, while it resulted in 17 to 25 cardiac arrests around the world, it was not the prettiest game of football you will ever see. Not even close. No, and, and this team has got to figure some of that out quickly because I'll always uh, – like I will, I will bank my house on John Gruden's approach to run the football first, and that just wasn't going to be a possibility. And we saw that in the first half. I gave Gruden a lot of credit in the second half, but I also thought in the first half it was interesting if you look at formations. The number of times – there were a couple of times we were in third and long, and our formation was Darren Waller, Foster Moreau. 
there wasn't even a wide receiver on the field. So that tells you that Gruden, A, believes in the explosiveness of his big package, but B, he intends to be committed to using that package in all shapes and sizes whenever he possibly can, right? Got to run the football. They're going to have to run the football to create opportunities. Otherwise, you know, otherwise you're just chucking the ball to rugs every once in a while, hoping for a pass interference call. I mean, you take away that, that one Mariota run, which was fantastic, go Ducks. I mean, you take away that run, <laughs> and outside of that, you got 34, 45, you got 51 rushing yards. How hype? Can we just change the subject for a second? Like, your level of Ohio State, Oregon hype uh, oh, a couple of days ago was on a God. scale of 1 to 10. Like, just, just be on honest. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm going to say I'm going to put it at a, at a high 8, uh, low 9, only because I was in the facility. I was not with my friends. I wasn't imbibing on delicious high school bruchachos. I was, I was business, Eddie. You were, you were business. Yeah, okay. I was business, but it was fantastic. I, but, I mean, that. I mean, look, that Mariota play, also the Mariota package, God bless it. I'm, I'm excited. I joked. I was like, oh, thank you. Where was that on fourth and one? Like, okay, oh, a great point. Uh, can I get some RPO action? I mean, like, can like I just, get it? Just, just, you know, don't even put a quarterback on the field. Just take, like, all oh. the tight ends and running backs and just line them all up and just say, hey, we're going to do something magical here. I, I don't know. I was tweeting out. I was like, man, I, I'm glad that Gruden finally read those emails I sent him throughout the offseason. <laughs> I really, I thought they went straight to spam, but I guess not. I guess no, he hit me with it. The, yeah, they did. probably yeah. did. Do, how, many, how many different Oregon jerseys do you have then? Is there like Dude, a- I, So none. I was actually talking to someone about this today. So I'm not a jersey guy. Uh-huh. I think they, they kind of fit my slender frame a little funky. So okay. I stick to the polo shirt. Okay. No. Now, that said, do I have – you're an probably, old soul. Yeah. Do I have more polo shirts, like Oregon polo shirts, than I probably need? Yeah, absolutely. Somebody, hey, Nike, send, send my boy a, an Oregon oh jersey. Oh, my God. Please, can we do that? I, I mean, can't I'm, just, I'm just trying to help you out We're here. trying to get everyone paid I'm here, just trying right? to leverage We're trying to get everyone paid. And for everyone listening right now, while you're talking about professionalism, I just think it's important that we honestly uh, assess the fact that I did not do a very good job during this game. Uh, <laughs> you know, I wasn't asked to leave the press box, but I'd like to think that it's because I left the press box you left on your own before accord. I was told to leave the press box there may or may not have been a play where i shrieked like a small child screaming yes and then put out a word that doesn't really belong in press boxes or professional atmospheres so at which point one of my peers that i respect the heck out of at nfl network just looked at me and gave me a nod like he's like yep exactly what i thought you'd be that's what happened uh, in the press box which is good because i almost like kissed a random stranger at the end of the game so i'm glad i wasn't in the press the box, energy was high the energy was yeah. incredible which is a fantastic segue fit as our vegas guy I mean, what an incredible night for this. We've talked about how much this means for the organization. We've talked about how much this means for the city. But for a guy who grew up here, as a Vegas guy who's got it tatted on, what is it, the right arm? Yeah. I mean, can you put into words, I mean, maybe it's a question better asked at the end of the year, but what does this mean to the city to have tonight take the result out, right? I mean, take out the fact that they won an instant classic. What does this mean for this city to have a night like tonight to show off, hey, we're a big dog NFL city now? This was such an interesting and important moment and and I use both of those words intentionally because I think for the NFL you know you think about the last time we saw a team in a city that had never had NFL football before and I keep making this point loudly that Jacksonville and what Vegas and Nashville are the Mm -hmm. last time so you it's been the late 90s since we've seen a city that's never had the NFL get the NFL there's a transition. There's like a, a, a what's this city going to be like, right? That's a real question. And then you look at a city like Las Vegas where there are so many entertainment options and what's it going to be and how, how's the crowd going to respond. I had so many of my friends asking me at ESPN, is everyone going to be in a nightclub and not paying attention? Are people just going to be bought out on anything that matters with the game? I, what I saw tonight was so crazy in such a good way, and, and not just tonight but even yesterday walking around the Strip, 
this was such a college football atmosphere in the sense that the whole city was taken over. Like if you go to Lincoln, Nebraska to go watch a Nebraska game, every the, from 48 hours before, suddenly the population grows, everybody's wearing Nebraska gear, and they're all yelling at each other in like all of this chaos and hype. That's what the strip has felt like for the last 24 hours. And because it's, I, I, I'm guessing because it's so hot here and because of the way the system's made because we have a new stadium, I don't know. But the number of people that were in this building hours before that were just excited to take a picture of the torch, to mm-hmm. see sort of the, the different artwork that's on the walls, like what's, what's $2 billion worth of stadium look like, right? That was a question I was excited for, but I genuinely thought got here early. I thought I'd walk around, it'd be a ghost town, and I'd go to the tailgating areas and check it out. No, everybody was here. And the sense of this is ours and the sense of production to, to the fact that, like, there's a band that's playing for anyone that didn't see it on TV. Well, there's a band that plays at Nashville Predators games. I've seen it for years. This band had a huge horn section and a string section, and they were playing all these pop hits the whole time. And then uh, Aoki comes out, and he just starts, like, spinning hits. And then Buffer comes out and does his whole thing. And you look around, and you're like, man, this just hits differently. And that's so important in this town because – I think realistically what's going to get people to come back time and time and time again is the nightclub that we saw. Like that that's the charm, that's the home field advantage. Like Arrowhead can be known for what Arrowhead's known for. This stadium after one time in it is going to be known for being incredibly loud and incredibly chaotic because that's what this crowd felt like. I mean, you couldn't move in the concourse, you couldn't move in the clubs, you couldn't move outside the stadium. Everybody was here. Like it, it just feels it feels different for Vegas. And I think I think the game presentation folks did an incredible job too yeah. in, in so many ways in terms of getting the crowd involved, getting them hyped up, but also kind of paying homage to what has been as well. Because you bring Ice Cube out, you bring Too Short out, Oakland's own Too Short, you play Blow the Whistle, and I will confirm that everyone in this building knew what Mr. Short's favorite word was, which I was kind of worried about, right? I mean, you go to Oakland, you go to the Coliseum, and you know you're going to get that moment. They're going to play Blow the Whistle. You are going to get that moment. You're going to get the reaction that you're waiting for, and it's going to hit 100 times out of 100. But we have some new friends now. Too Short is not the guy here like he is in the Bay Area. And give this group credit, man, because every single person was singing along. I think it helps when you have Ice Cube out there doing his thing. But like I said, I think in terms of the presentation, in terms of the production, of the game, take, you know, not including everything on the field, it was fantastic. It yeah. really was. And, you know, I mean, Hell's Bells playing and just listening yeah. to people go nuts. Like, it was really well done by everybody of saying, like, here's who we are, here's who we've been, here's who we're going to be. But I, I won't, uh, you know, I, I'm, I won't reveal a name because I don't want to throw them under the bus. But uh, somebody that lives here that does residency work all the time, uh, I was texting him. I was like, so uh, you guys going to get in on the uh, whole anthem thing? And he was like, everybody's trying. Everybody wants to do something here. Like, that's the star power uh, that comes with being, you know, Showtime define the Lakers, right? Uh, country music defines the Nashville Predators. Like, there, there's these magical runs that happen with certain stars. Vegas is a city with a lot of stars that want to be a part of what's happening. It's really, it's fun because it combines a little bit of the element of like, hey, this is for Las Vegas, but it also combines that with the element of people from all over the world that are Raiders fans that are like, I want to go to Vegas to see my team in that city, you know, with that party atmosphere. I I was really impressed. I I didn't know what to expect, and it genuinely blew my mind. I've, I've been to almost every stadium in the NFL. I've never seen an atmosphere like this. So I, I hope it continues every week. And I think the one thing that I love, too, is that I think there was a great kind of give and take between the fans and the organization here, right, where everyone on Twitter is calling it the Death Star way back when. 
And we totally leaned into it, man. The Imperial March, the Black, like all of it. And it's like, that's how it's supposed to be, right? Like this is this is the house, this is, you know, the Raiders house, but it's a house for everyone. It's a house for the fans, right? Like you need to have that symbiotic relationship. You need to have people that are going to listen to the show, that are going to watch the videos, that are going to read the articles. It has to go both ways. And I think that on night one, I think organization, we did a really nice job of meeting everyone in the middle. Well, and I think there's a, a nice flavor even in like walking around. You know, again, I came here as a as a fan first. That was my most important thing. I wanted to come to the first game with fans to see the team that I grew up loving in the city that I grew up in. And it was really cool to even walk the concourse and see, you know, so many brands that represent a little bit of Vegas and represent mm-hmm. a little bit of the local flair, but also to see like a concession stand that frankly I didn't know existed and maybe you guys advertised it. I didn't know, but like there was a concession stand that had $3 hot dogs. And I was like, that's Amazing to me. There is a 30-second timeout. Where, where are the, the $3 dollars? Yeah, hot like on the, on the 200 at? level, there's a concession stand sort of built over on the side that has $3 hot dogs, $3 nachos, like it's, which they did in Atlanta, and the Falcons did it. And it was like I didn't know that that was here too. And like it, it was really cool to see like a family lined up there knowing that like, all right, you've got kids that want hot dogs. You can actually do that. Like I thought there was a real attention to – we're going to give you every opportunity to sit somewhere luxurious, but we're also going to give you every opportunity to just experience, you know, the game and not have to do that. And, so. that, and that's what I'm about too, man, where it's like you and I are really lucky. We're very fortunate. We get to go to these games for free, right? And can you believe it? They actually pay us to come yeah, here no, most of the crazy. time. Like, that's, that's pretty nuts. Wait, you're getting paid? Or are, you get, are you not getting no, paid? No, I'm not. Oh, I guess if you're not getting paid, I'm certainly I'm, not getting I'm, paid. <laughs> I know we got the nice Twitch gear. That's probably we did get probably, like we got gear. Yeah, like, yeah man, somebody probably, somewhere was check, like, yeah. somebody was somewhere was like, he does anything for something free. So just give him something free, and he's like, yeah. oh man, we laugh because it's true. Nah, we laugh because sorry. it's true. But I think that one thing that that's great is that you and I get to have these experiences, and there's not a financial aspect of it for us. But I I love the fact that you said and they made it accessible for people because look. I'm not a, I don't have a family of four, but going to a, a game like this or family of four, that's expensive getting in the door. And then you're thinking, all right, now we're three hot dogs in, we're two Pepsis, a popcorn. I loved hearing that. They made it a way for people in here to do that and do it the right way. Yeah, so I was on a, um, one of the trams. And for anyone that's never been to Vegas, they have trams that connect certain casinos. So I was on a tram to get to Mandalay Bay so I could walk through to get to the, the stadium. And the tram was packed with Raiders fans. So I just asked, like, all right. How many people are season ticket holders? And one person raised his hand. I'm like, how many people are from out of town? And everybody raised their hand. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I think the funny thing is there's been this conversation about Vegas for years, ever since this was announced. I think a lot of the haters, to be very transparent, have said, well, it's going to be filled with fans from other cities. I think what a lot of people have forgotten is that Raiders fans are, A, global, B, passionate, and C, want to see this. And so the number of people that, you know, like I said, I've got Raiders fans that live in Bristol, Connecticut, that today were like, all right, how do I get to a game? Like, when can I go? And and I think that's a real part of what it's going to be for the next several years to be a Raiders fan. It's like you want to try and find a way to get into this stadium. And that's that's the, the, the accessibility factor that comes from being in a city that's easy to get to, that has a lot of hotels, that has a lot of dynamic things going on that you know is going to party every – like the party on the Strip for the last 24 hours has been insane. Oh, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. I'll let you get to that part in a sec, Fitz. But on our way out of here, week two, we got, we're headed to Pittsburgh. First road game of the season. Headed into week two now. Give me on our way out just your biggest question now headed into into that, that road class with the Steelers. Yeah, so here's the thing. I'm, I'm out on the Steelers. I have been all year, so I'm going to be consistent on it. Uh, I got blown up on Twitter over the weekend for it because obviously they beat the Bills team that uh, I'm very high on. Uh, I, I thought the Bills looked really out of sync. The thing of it is, if you go back, I don't care that the, the Steelers started 13-0 and last year. Ben is washed. 
I don't think that Ben Roethlisberger is a great quarterback anymore. So realistically, like I'm not trying to hot take it. It's just yeah. like for me, Ben's not. Now I love Najee Harris. I loved Najee Harris at Alabama, but that offensive line is not particularly good. If this Raiders defensive line plays the way tonight on Sunday that they played tonight, they should be able to absolutely decimate that Steelers offense. So the question is, can the offense here have more rhythm? I, I, I've gone from really feeling like that was a tough win to feeling like that's the sort of game that this team can win because of the way they're built. It's everything, like we always talk about the NBA is really about matchups. Guess what? So is the NFL. And if you look at the lines, the, the defensive line for the Raiders, the way they played tonight, can beat that offensive line for Pittsburgh. I think they'll, they'll be able to just put Ben in check all week if they – if health can help them, then I think that the Raiders can actually win that game. You know, I'm with I you. I changed my thought on that game based oh, yeah. on tonight. <laughs> I had the Raiders yeah. losing to Pittsburgh, but after the way I saw that defense tonight, I don't. I'm with you. I think my biggest question now headed into that Steelers game is, is can the Raiders establish the run? Right. Yeah. I mean, Gruden has talked about it a ton, and we've seen it time and time again. This team is at their best when they are a run-first team, when they can establish a rhythm, a cadence, dominate that line of scrimmage. Can you do it against the Steelers? Can you do it on the road? And running the ball is always going to be paramount for this team, but doing it on the road is even more important. So can Josh Jacobs and the boys get together? Can they dominate that line of scrimmage? Can you troll the clock? Can you win time of possession? And can you do it for 60 minutes? Yeah, That's my biggest question going into week two. They will not face anybody better at getting the passer than they'll face in this matchup, obviously. I mean, T.J. Watt is not just good. He's great. He's sensational. So it's going to be interesting to see because they have to establish a run. They can't. You can't get a negative down in distance here because T.J. Watt will tee off and destroy you in that process. So they're definitely going to have to be smart there. And uh, Kenyon Drake's got to learn uh, a little bit. Like so There were some communication issues yeah. tonight for Kenyon Drake. I think he's got to be better week two. Yeah, absolutely. Week one for everyone. But at the end of the day, the Raiders take home a much-needed W in an instant classic. I'll call it an instant classic. And this was an absolute blast. It was so great to have you here. We're going to have you every other week for the duration of the season. So we will see you week three. So for Eddie Pascal, Jason Fitz, my man Ray on the ones and twos, and everyone else at Silver and Black Productions, thank you for joining us. This was so much fun, and we will catch you guys next week on the fifth quarter, proudly presented by our friends at Twitch. Thank you for listening to the fifth quarter, presented by Twitch. Make sure to download the Raiders mobile app, and we'll see you next week. Karma Automotive, Forbes Magazine's most anticipated luxury electric vehicle. Karma Automotive is a luxury EV brand designed and manufactured in California. Proud sponsor and official luxury vehicle of the Las Vegas Raiders. Charge the motion beyond EV. Karma Automotive.